Welcome to the Active Growth Podcast, episode 24. Today, we take a look at something that is happening not just in the online marketing space, but on the internet in its entirety. We are asking the question, are we living in the Patreon era? If you've been looking at news about how online businesses monetize on the internet, and especially smaller and medium businesses, not the internet giants, but everyone else, there's been a lot of doom and gloom there. First of all, we have ad blockers that are becoming more and more the norm and that are eating into revenues generated by advertisers and creators alike. And also, advertising revenue has been devastated on platforms like YouTube through various controversies, as well as on other platforms like Instagram, where basically the crowd, there's a crowding out effect and a lot of creators are basically suffering. On top of all that, banner blindness is an increasing trend and more and more people just don't pay attention to ads even if they don't have an ad blocker stopping them from seeing them in the first place. Why all this talk about ads? Well, because advertising revenue has been the lifeblood of the internet for as long as it's gone mainstream and the big players, especially Google and Facebook, rely very heavily, not to say exclusively, on advertising revenue. And of course, through various ways, this advertising revenue is then shared with creators on the platform and off the platform even. And so anything that affects advertising revenue negatively really affects a huge swath of businesses online negatively. But there is a new solution. There is a new trend on the rise. There's a wave going through the entire internet and even if you currently don't have anything to do with online advertising which is probably unlikely you're probably either on the advertiser or on the publisher side in some way but even if you aren't this trend is important for you to know about today we're asking could this be the future of how people and businesses make money online could this become a total replacement for the current ecosystem fueled by advertising revenue And if it is, what does that mean for you? How can you prepare for this post-advertising future? To find out what this Patreon era is all about and what our thoughts are on it and how to prepare for it, keep listening. And also to find the show notes for this episode, which contains links to all the resources we mention, go to activegrowth.com forward slash 24. In these show notes, you can also leave a comment, ask us questions, let us know your opinion. You can do that in the form of a written comment or you can click a button to quickly record a voice message. As always, your input, your interaction, your feedback is super important and helps us make better content for you. So please take a moment to do that. Show notes and comments at activegrowth.com forward slash 24. I'm Shane Relach. And I'm Hannah Wittebeck. And before we get into the main topic for the day, let's head over to Twitter to answer some Twitter questions. The first one is from Jean or Jean, Jean, maybe. Yes. (laughs) And he asks, uh, first of all, he says, thank you for your amazing podcast about copywriting. Thank you very much. And he asks, how do you pre-test or optimize your podcast headlines? Now, that is an interesting question because we are very in favor of testing things. But with your podcast, it's generally you 
you submit your podcast and it goes into the RSS feed, it gets distributed to Apple Podcasts and wherever else it goes. And, and that's basically the end of it. It's not like you can A-B test your podcast title. And of course, it would be nice if you could because it makes a big difference. I mean, based on the title, a lot of people will decide whether they're going to listen to this thing or not. So it's an interesting question. The answer in our case is that we don't. We don't do any pre-testing. And the, the term pre-testing here is, I think, the, the right one. I think what you could do is you could, for example, you know, publish, let's say, publish it on your blog first and test the headline there, which that's something we do. We generally always test our headlines um, using Thrive Headline Optimizer. And then you could pick the headline that did best and then use that for your podcast episode. I think that's pretty inefficient because it would take, you know, several days basically before you before you have enough data. And yeah, so I don't have a good answer to this. I don't know. Is there a good system for pre-testing your, your podcast headlines? I absolutely have no idea. I, I don't think so, because like you said, like once it's published, it's published, I'm guessing. Um, but I do think it's important to keep in mind how people are finding your podcast, because I, I do believe it's a bit different than with blog posts, because if you think about it, in the end, iTunes is like a search engine, right? So I would very much um, optimize the podcast titles as if it was for a search engine. So not be too creative with it, <laughs> but somehow make sure that people know what it's about when they see the title. Because if somebody arrives on your podcast and, and they see like a hundred episodes and they want to decide which episode to choose and you only have like super creative headlines that have you have no clue what's behind it, I'm not sure that's that would be great for iTunes, basically. Yeah. And it's, I think it's also, it's potentially a bit of a dilemma as well, but I would say the same thing goes for your blog titles, right? Where on the one hand, you have, you have kind of two different audiences, your fans who will more likely, they like, they know your, let's say your insider language you use, and they're more likely to maybe click on a curiosity headline or something. And new visitors who don't know anything about you yet, where yeah, if you don't kind of give away what your content is about in your title, they probably won't bother clicking. So yeah, I think that's a good a good point. Like if you look at our podcast titles as well, you can see that we're not generally we don't go for the curiosity click, and we're not like secretive about what the episode is about. We're we're fairly descriptive. Because in iTunes, your fans will like will be subscribed, and so it will download immediately to their device and they will probably listen every week yeah so i i would probably go with like the more the clearer title on itunes but it's it's really like i don't have a crystal ball and like we said in the beginning it's it's not something that you can actually test so i'm just guessing here yeah so this is you know let us know if you know a better way to do this if you know a good way to optimize or test your your podcast headlines let us know about it because clearly we don't have a great system for this yet ourselves. Our second question comes from Kvalia. I've probably also mangled this name, but I apologize for that. And the question is, what is the difference between marketing and copywriting? I know copywriting is turning words into profits, but marketing includes copywriting and advertising, right? So what's the difference? So this is an interesting question because it could all, it's almost like a philosophical question, right? <laughs> But but yeah, what's the, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear this question? 
I would say that she's right. Like for me, copywriting is part of marketing. Marketing is bringing your product to the public and having good copywriting will help you do that. Yeah. So for sure, copywriting is just a subset of marketing. I think what makes this interesting is that almost everything you need to know in order to be able to do good marketing, which includes more than copywriting, but all this stuff you need to know, things that we've talked about on this podcast a lot, right? Knowing your target market, knowing who your audience is, knowing what kind of problems they have, what um, solutions they're looking for, or, you know, basically their problems, their pain points, their hopes and dreams and aspirations and all this kind of stuff that you need to know to to be able to do good marketing, which includes things like finding the right channels, right? Do I do I use advertising? Do I, you know, pay-per-click advertising? Do I use social media? Do I use email? What channels do I use to reach these people? How do I reach them? How do I make appealing messages? All of this stuff that you need to know in order to be good at marketing, at the, at the larger scale of marketing, all flows into copywriting as well. So yeah, the, the short answer is that copywriting is a marketing skill and there are many other marketing skills or, or many other parts of marketing. So if you look at a marketing team, right, there'd be maybe one copywriter on that team. There'd be maybe a pay-per-click. Mm. What? what? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I do have to, like, I, I, I have to argue with that okay. because, I mean, you can't do pay-per-click if you're not copywriting. Yes, yes. That's true. Yeah. Which is yeah, to finish my thought here, right? So you'd have, you'd have maybe a copywriter on the team. You'd have a PPC specialist on the team. You'd have a content marketer on the team. You'd have these different people on the team, but like you just said, it's not like these are completely siloed off from each other, right? Because it does, they all have to kind of have the same knowledge. They all have to use, you know, the, the same language to talk to the same people. So there are blurred lines for sure. And I think maybe to summarize what we can say, you cannot possibly be a good copywriter without being a good marketer and you can't be a good marketer without being a good copywriter. So yeah, the, the lines really are quite blurred. If you have questions that you'd like us to answer, you can send them on Twitter at ActiGrow. That's A-C-T-I-G-R-O-W. Just send your questions at ActiGrow and there's a chance that we'll answer them on the next episode. Also, you can always go to the show notes and leave a voice message there. We're gonna start this episode with a little story or rather an experiment. And you might've heard about this experiment, but it's about chocolate. So there's nothing wrong with talking about chocolate one more time. <laughs> so <laughs> let's try this now. In the experiment, they were asking people if they would rather buy a Hershey's Kiss for one cent or a Lindt truffle for 15 cents. Now, if you don't know, Lindt truffle is much more valuable than the Hershey's Kiss. And it's about a 30 cent purchase normally, like if you go to the supermarket. So in this experiment, like the 15 cents for a Lindt truffle was really, really good value for the price. And that's why three quarters actually chose to pay 15 cents because it made sense. Like having like this really good chocolate for half the price was just better value for the money. And then they changed something very interesting. They lowered both prices by one cent. So the Hershey's Kiss became free, zero cent, and the Lindt truffles became 14 cents. Now, 
this shouldn't make that much of an impact, right? Both were lowered by one cent. But this wouldn't be a very interesting experiment if it didn't make much of a difference. So what happened was that two-thirds of the people now chose for the Hershey's Kiss just because it was free. And when you start to think about this, it's pretty irrational, right? And that's also why this is an example from the book Predictably Irrational by Ariely. But when thinking about this, when analyzing this, the researchers thought maybe the problem is that somebody would have to get out their wallet and they would have to pay for, for this. So it's like the 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 burden of paying is so much higher than just the zero cents that that's why people chose for the Hershey's Kiss. So they tried this experiment again, but this time in a cantina. So which means that you just swipe a card anyway and you don't have to pay extra. You don't have to get out extra money. And at the end, when they came to the cash register, they asked, do you want a Hershey's Kiss for zero cents or do you want a Lindt's Ruffle for 14 cents? And again, they tried with one cent to 15 cents and they had got the exact same result. So the thing is free zero cents not paying is just something that's irresistible to people. It's, it's almost impossible to beat. And this is why it's so interesting to see services like Patreon who ask audiences to pay, even though they are not obliged to pay, and see those coming up and see people actually making money on these platforms. So now, why? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, yeah, that that free, like you say, the free has this irresistible allure to it. And it, it's been used in marketing since the dawn of time, right? It's free samples, free whatever. You add in some free bonus. Take the puppy you, home. <laughs> you take, take the pup, test the puppy for, <laughs> for two weeks. <laughs> whatever it is right it's this the free thing and of course we've talked about this as well right and we also advocate doing this like there should be some kind of a free offer on your website right offer something valuable for free it is like the time-tested way to get people into the top of your funnel right to get people to give them a very low barrier of entry of okay i'm gonna try this free thing and if the free thing is good then that is a great way to earn someone's trust. It's a great way to get someone to go, okay, maybe this is you know worth paying attention to, get them to come back and later maybe be willing to spend some money. So free is like this, this ultimate thing, right? Free is the ultimate price. And so many businesses, so many, I mean, the, the, the giants of the internet are basically built on this, apart from Amazon, I would say. But if you look at, you know, Google and Facebook and the, all these ecosystems, all the big apps, they're all about, you can use this thing for free. They provide you with this value for free and they monetize that with advertising on the back end. And Amazon is using free shipping. Don't forget. Right. Like yes. The moment they switched to free shipping, they saw like a huge intake in their sales. Right. Yeah. So we see it even there. And then with something like, like Patreon, it's one of these things where you would be excused if someone told you about this idea. Well, here's the thing, right? You've got some creator, someone draws web comics or something, and they're going to say, hey, if you like my comics, give me some money every month and just to support me making these comics that I make anyway, <laughs> right? You'd be, you'd be excused to say, well, this is not going to work. This is going to fail. Who the hell would do this, right? But as it turns out, 
Patreon is a massively successful business and it has taken off in a huge way over the last years. So there's clearly something happening. And what I want to talk about here is what this means. There's a shift happening in the way people make money online. And we are not experts. You know, this is not a podcast about how to get a million Patreon supporters because we don't use Patreon ourselves. This is not something that we are experts in. But what this is about is to observe this shift that's happening, observe the change that's happening in the online marketing world and think about what does this mean for us? That being said, after seeing some of those numbers, we're uh, like, <laughs> we're actually considering like maybe we should try Patreon. Who knows? <laughs> we will link to, there's a page where you can, uh, there's basically a service that tracks Patreon and where you can see the top creators, right? Who gets, who has the most patrons and who gets paid the most. And we are talking about, um, you know, the, the top 20 or so people all make more than $30,000 a month from this. So yeah, we're talking about, you know, especially if it's an individual creator, we're talking about really good income here. But of course, what we're also looking at is the typical power curve distribution. So you know, there's going to be a very small number of creators that make a ton of money. And there's going to be a very, very long tail of creators that make nothing or almost nothing. However, I think there's also an important thing here, which is that if you look at the people who make the most money on Patreon, it tends to be people and brands who also make a lot of money through other means. So for example, Philip DeFranco is one of the top Patreon, you know, in terms of the number of patrons he has, he's, uh, he's number two on this list. And we have, you know, so and Philip DeFranco is one of the top YouTubers. So he would make a lot of money through the YouTube advertising system. And another, so some of them I don't know, but some of them that stand out to me, Kurzgesagt, in a nutshell, they make videos, also a huge YouTube channel. They get tons and tons of views. We have Sam Harris is on here. And Sam Harris has a massive podcast audience. He sells books. He goes on tour. Like he has a lot of income sources. It's not like he needs, you know, it's not like he desperately needs the income from this. And we go further. Jordan Peterson lately has been all over the show, right? He's been everywhere. He has tons of patrons. I think estimated to make something like $50,000 a month from this. Uh, Jim Sterling is another one that, that stands out to me here. Another big YouTube channel. And so on. We go through this list. We can see a lot of, we can see a lot of uh, YouTube creators, podcasters, and things like that. And if you, in most cases, if you check out their YouTube videos, you will be shown ads, and they get some some share of those of the ad revenue. If you listen to the podcast, they will have sponsors. They will sell you the Casper mattresses and all this stuff on their podcast. So they have other income sources. And in fact, in many cases, the video creators. What it seems to me is becoming typical on YouTube is that you combine a lot of different income sources. So you'll have the income from the ads that play on the YouTube network. You'll often have, um, let's say, hard-coded sponsorships, meaning that there's basically an ad in the video. So it's not an ad that plays before or after the video and then the video starts. It's like part of the video is this video is sponsored by so-and-so and it will contain an ad 
that's essentially hard-coded in the video, right? So that's a sponsorship in there. Then in addition to that, there's often going to be some merchandising, right? So buy my t-shirt, buy my poster. This is another thing that Philip DeFranco does, for example, uh, selling merchandising of various kinds. Plus there will then be the some kind of a crowdfunding support like Patreon or other systems. Sam Harris, for example, uh, runs his whole. So he's listed here as having over 8,000 patrons on Patreon, but he actually has his whole own uh, funding system that it, that doesn't go through Patreon. So he will have a lot more supporters through that as well. So we're seeing this, this combination of many different income sources. And like I said, often it's, it's kind of like, I think there's a lot of this happening on Patreon where it really is just someone drawing a web comic and they have a few fans and they make some money. But we're also seeing this used as, you know, it's kind of a big business thing, right? We're, we're looking at businesses that are already probably making seven figures a year. Plus they have a Patreon that brings another six or seven figures a year on top of that. And I think that's a pretty interesting trend to see. Like you said, you can have like the, the little guy with, with a few supporters. And there are some exceptions to to the rule of course as always right like one of the one of the guys that um that i'm following is like the minimalists and so their whole um story is that they don't want to put advertising on their podcast and so they ask for people to become a patron for either one dollar or two dollar an episode um so that they don't have to have advertisers so in this case it's really paying for the podcast um and they have like they 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 have i don't know um about a thousand two thousand patreons on there so if those people pay two bucks it's like that will pay for their for their podcast at that point it's of course it's not like five figure um income but it's still it's still interesting to see that we can have this giving value and getting back even though it's not really obliged to now something else that I was seeing on Patreon that I was actually very interested in because when you started out you said like oh yeah think about this people get it for free and then you ask them to actually pay money and even though they still get it but if you look a bit deeper into the ones who are actually doing um, a, making a lot of money on Patreon it's like the more you um, you pay monthly, the more you actually get. So it still becomes exclusive content that you shouldn't like that you're not able to get when you're when you're free. Exactly. So they they will have incentive schemes. So basically, all of the successful, um, or let's say you know, eighty percent for sure of the top uh, Patreon users will have some kind of an incentive scheme where. You either get their content earlier if you're a patron or you get exclusive, you know, the, for example, Sam Harris does AMA episodes, right? Ask me anything episodes that are exclusive for his patrons or you might get, um, yeah, you know, whatever webinars or events or something that are for patrons only. Yeah, a lot of it is access to the to the creator, which which is pretty interesting, too. Right. So access. So to be able to ask questions and things like that. Is that the kind of access you mean? 
Yeah, so it's either a webinar or like you say, like this AMA or it's something live or it's like behind the scenes type of uh, vlogs or so it's like having more of a direct communication line with the creator where people pay for it. It's, it's because it takes more time, right? Doing a live webinar takes more time and effort because you actually have to be there. And so then people pay more for it. Yeah. And it is interesting to see that, right? Because then it, it does become almost like it's almost like product creation. It's almost like a membership again, exactly. where you have to think about, okay, how do I, how do I incentivize this? How do I get people to, to make this, this financial commitment? How do I get them to, how do I incentivize them to spend a bit more as well? That's where the tiered stuff comes in where it's like, okay, if you give $1 a month, you get something. If you give $5 a month, you get something better. And that's really, you know, when we're talking about that, that's basically talking about a, pricing for a membership product, right? Yeah. And one of the things that I thought was was really interesting, because when we get into the 25 bucks, 50 bucks a month, and then you get a, an hour live call, like this is basically having a paid mastermind, something. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's presented differently because it's presented like, oh, this makes me, this allows me to do all this free stuff. Um, and then you get this as a perk. But it, yeah, it's just interesting communication, basically. Yeah. Now we've been talking about Patreon specifically, which I think is, you know, is the platform that you see most often, although it's not the only one of its kind. And it's also not the only indication of this trend that we're talking about here. Another thing that has really blown up in the last years is streaming. So typically the, the, the biggest part of the industry there is video game streaming where you have people playing video games and other people watching them live as they're playing that's like the most weird thing ever to me it's interesting right it's really interesting that that i feel like it's, it's this kind of thing where um you know let's say in my generation the equivalent of that when you were a kid was that you would go to a friend's house because he had a gaming console and then it's like one of you would be playing and the others would be watching. But generally, you wanted to be the person playing, <laughs> right? It's like you wanted, you waited for your turn, right? But, but somehow, there's something about watching someone else play a video game that, you know, seems to be appealing to millions upon millions of people. And there's, a, there's tipping systems. So Twitch is the, the biggest streaming platform for video games and also for other types of stuff. But mostly video games and uh, people will give tips, you know, just like whatever, same kind of thing. So it's not a subscription, but it's like, you know, they'll just send a dollar or $5 or $10 or whatever, just to support the person playing the video game. Right. So that's, and it's a similar kind of thing, right? It's not that you're watching the, uh, you know, it's not like advertising supported or something like that. It's just, if you have fans watching you and they just, feel like okay this is worth some of my money and they will they will tip you and like i said also apart from patreon there's also quite a lot of creators that that use their own you know they set up their own system to get this kind of crowdfunding so an example of that would be cracked.com which is a huge website and it was ad supported for the longest time and they've started to ask for donations as well I think one of the things that's actually interesting with the difference between something like Patreon and something like Twitch, it's if I understood correctly, Twitch, basically you're paying so that a person would continue playing, right? 
So if they consider that there's not enough money, they just stop playing. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Whereas with the the Patreon, it's more, it's it's a bit different because they will still, if they already have a thousand people pledging, like the other two thousand, like they won't stop their podcast or anything. Yeah. So it's like it's interesting that you also have this this kind of scarcity even in this direct payment system. It's like, oh, if I'm not paying this one dollar or whatever to keep watching, that player might just decide that it's not worth anymore. That's true. But that's also only true on basically, let's say, the poor streamers. If you're and, and that's one of the interesting things about a system like this is that for sure the, there's this incentive to support the little guy, right? To to support the little creator where you say, okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna chuck a few dollars your way so you can keep doing this. But interestingly, we have the same distribution that we basically always see in markets of the rich getting richer, right? The, the more, if you have a huge amount of fans and everybody can see that you're basically swimming in money, <laughs> but still more people will join in. Um, will pay. And, and will pay. <laughs> yeah, and that's interesting, actually. <laughs> I've been thinking about why this is happening. And, and you know, I've been explaining all this or talking about all this because, because I want to, if you're not you know, if you haven't been aware of this, like keep a look out for this because this is happening. And I see this really as a wave, you know, it's it's coming as a wave where more and more creators are relying on or substituting their income with this direct donorship model or, or patron model. And so why is that happening? I think a big part of it is that advertising-based stuff is becoming more difficult. It's becoming more difficult to make a living off of that. So YouTube is a great example of that because they had several big advertising related dramas in the last year where, you know, lots of advertisers pulled ads out of YouTube and YouTube implemented like demonetization and and reduced monetization stuff where it really is the fact that if you were a YouTube creator, if that was your main source of income, you saw your income drop by huge chunks at least twice in the last 12 months where all these YouTube creators then started looking for what else can I do because this isn't working anymore. And I think that's something that that also helped with the popularity of, of something like Patreon. And I think it also says something about, you know, what's happening with I think this is like a continuation of banner blindness, right? So banner blindness, the idea that people just don't see advertising um, and don't respond to advertising. I think that's that's a continual thing. You know, in the very early days of the internet, people didn't know the difference between a banner, an advertising banner and, and the real website. And you got tons of clicks on advertising banners. And I think that's something that just gradually keeps going down. I think people are getting more and more blind to ads as time goes on. And this is one of the responses to that. Where do you see creative freedom coming in there? Because if we think about um, what happened, for example, with something that's not online, but that was the Chanel campaign and the moment that uh, the girl shaved her head or something or was seen with drugs, I don't know anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, like Chanel took out the campaign, and and it's like, yeah, where where is this creative freedom coming in? Where the brand that's sponsoring you has something to say about your content, right? They can be like, oh no, that joke is is too like is is 
to P PG or whatever or mm -hmm. PC. What is the, the right term? <laughs> well, it's, it's not it's not PC enough. <laughs> it's not PC enough. Okay, that's the thing. Or or yeah, something where where basically the advertisers get a part of of power over the content that you're creating, yeah. and especially as a creative person, like somebody who who makes comics or jokes or or plays or whatever that can be really really hard right exactly i think that's a big part of it is that if you have that these advertisers will exert control which is exactly what happened on youtube as well right it's like oh this is a bit too controversial for us we're just pulling millions upon millions out of this right and then of course youtube gets super nervous about that and they start implementing all this stuff all these draconian rules basically about what you can and can't do if you want to get any of the money and this is exactly one of the one of the great things that I think is also a selling point for the creator, right? The creator can say, listen, I don't want to be a slave to whoever pays for these ads. I'm gonna say my actual opinion. I'm going to I'm going to swear if I feel like swearing. I'm going to have a colorful personality and controversial opinions. And advertisers don't support that kind of thing. But you, the individual fan, can support that. So I think that is definitely a part of, of what's happening here. What I think is, is really interesting about this is that we talk about on active growth, we talk about what's called a value-based business and value-based business is this direct exchange of value, right? So I see the difference between a value-based business and the non-value-based business. The most typical one is a value-based business is I sell something, right? I, I sell a blue widget. I make the blue widget and I sell it for $5. And you are someone who needs or wants a blue widget. You come to me and you say, oh, I want that thing. Here's $5. You get the thing. That's a value-based business, right? I give you something you want in exchange for money. And there are lots of indirect business models, such as I post pictures on Instagram. I get a lot of Instagram followers. Some sponsor sees that I have a lot of Instagram followers. The sponsor says, okay, here's the thing. Take a picture of yourself wearing this hat and post it on Instagram and then I'll give you $50. And so I take a picture of the hat, post it to Instagram, the fans see me wearing the hat, I get money from someone else. This is this indirect thing, right? And the indirect thing is always less reliable. It, it always means that you have less control over what's happening. It also generally means that your income is much, much lower, right? You can't charge as much for other people's eyeballs as you can for, look, here's a thing you want and, and I give it to you directly. So that's why I'm, I'm a big advocate of the value-based business. And this model, the donation-based model is a value-based business model. You're saying, look, I make these videos, I make these podcast episodes, I draw these comics. And if you like it, you give me some money. And an important thing that this implies is that all of the stuff that's important if you are a product creator, if you are creating a value-based business becomes important in this model as well. If we look at people who are successful in this model, it is almost without exception, there's very strong branding and usually personal branding involved. So that's a big difference between, you know, a passive kind of income where, okay, I have some website, the website gets some traffic, there's some ad clicks, I end up making some money. It's the quality versus quantity thing, right? Where you just know that nobody is going to pay you money for 
as many articles on your blog as possible. Whereas if you really put in the effort and make something valuable, then people might actually want to pay for it. It forces a certain kind of creativity as well. You really have to be offering something yeah, that has this value and that is unique somehow. And that's also where I see a difference between, you know, search engine optimized content where it's just like, okay, how do I make this, get the traffic for this keyword versus how do I make content that people want to read so much that they're willing to pay me directly for it. And especially personal branding, I think is super important. It's no surprise that, or it's no accident that a lot of the top Patreon users are people who make video and who have their face in the video, right? Where you see that person, you, you have this, yeah, there's this direct personal connection with the creator. I think this is an interesting trend overall, because for me, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. I'm actually surprised how willing people are to, to give donations that they don't have to. I think if you, and like we talked about, right, the, the big creators do have incentive schemes. And it also shows that basically this whole wave that's happening towards this kind of business model is essentially a product creation and value-based business wave, right? It is essentially everything that we talk about, about how to create a good offer, how to put together a product that people want and then give it to them in exchange for money. All of this stuff is happening as a big trend. And that's one of the things that I take away from this is that I think that there was a trend towards, you know, there was like the, the, the AdSense era, you know, there was for a few years that that was, there's a big trend of like, let's create this kind of passive income authority site kind of thing, where we just get a lot of traffic to the site and we, we make money through these, you know, through these other channels like passively. And I see there's a big turning now towards directly creating value, selling your creative work in whatever, whatever form that takes to people. And that involves all this, all this kind of stuff of product creation, personal branding, speaking directly to people. And one thing that I see, you know, it's, this is a huge confirmation of Kevin Kelly's idea of a thousand true fans. This is the most direct application of Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans, because if you have a thousand true fans and you have a Patreon page, you make a living and you probably make a pretty good living. There's one other thing that I'm wondering if it comes into play, because when when you're in this advertising model, basically, you know that as the visitor, as the audience, you are the product, right? And we can see with like the number of ad blocks installed on browsers and how pissed uh, off people get from having their Facebook feed basically being only ads and being like their personal information used to make money and they become the product. And I think if at that point you allow people to pay rather than being the product, that's also a very interesting shift. Yeah, and that's uh, that's another thing that I think is even further out in the future. This is possibly where this is going. A really interesting project regarding this is the Brave browser, which you can find at brave.com and we'll also link to this in the show notes. The Brave browser is a browser that has ad blocking built in by default. 
which is also becoming you know much more of a standard thing some level of ad blocking in a browser and but the interesting thing is that the brave browser goes together with a model a monetization model which is called basic attention token and the idea is just that in the brave browser and you can already do this you can load up the brave browser with some money and as a website owner you can register your website in the in this basic attention token network and it will simply measure how much time do you spend on websites and it will distribute your money to websites uh, in proportion to how much time you spend there so very simply put right let's say you put five dollars a month into this and you know you spend whatever you spend two hours on website a and you spend one hour on website b and one hour on website c then website a will get the larger chunk of those five dollars because you spent more time there right and this is and this so this would be direct monetization and this is kind of the replacement of ads which is essentially the same thing right you get paid for for spending time on the website and, and generating ad impressions and hopefully ad clicks this is taking that out of the out of the equation it takes the middleman out of the equation just says okay you know you you pay some money and it automatically distributes to the websites where you spend the most time i also look at this and i go is this ever going to work are people ever going to do this and i'm kind of skeptical of it but i think it's very interesting because i would have said the same thing about patreon you know but clearly people are willing to do that and and i think it is possible that just as people are on board with the idea of donating to their to their favorite creators i think that we could look at a future where people just say yeah you know for the websites i enjoy i'm just going to put five or ten dollars a month into this system and i know that the creators get paid you know without me having to do anything and i think that's the most interesting part like the resistance is are people going to put their money in but the real the huge benefit is beyond that you don't have to do anything right you don't have to worry about it you can just feel good about knowing okay this is happening right people are getting paid for their work already just because i use this so this made me wonder actually because i'm i'm using google play for music and so it's a fixed monthly fee and you got me thinking about like okay what would happen if well the song that i listen to 45000 times a day is the one that gets most of those nine bucks right I think there's there's a lot of concern there too because now what's cool is that you can discover like all these little artists that you don't know about yet and if like most of the money goes to the most popular one we get again like this whole yeah basically if if you would give money where you spend your time like holy sh YouTube and and Facebook will get a lot of money yeah so yeah I I don't know I don't know if that if that would be a model that I'm actually standing behind. <laughs> I mean, and th that's but that's the thing. There's always this unfair distribution, right? There's always the the rich getting richer kind of thing happening, and I I think the same thing. I think this is a promising model, but I think for most people, you will you know if even if this takes off, you'll get you know you'll earn like two dollars a month from from your visitors, and the big websites will be earning the most. So that's definitely, and that's for me is another reason to not just rely on this passive kind of thing but to to offer something because while you know someone might come they they might come to your website 
spend 20 minutes a week there to read some posts and you won't earn anything from that. But if you say, hey, here's a product that is super valuable that you want and it costs $500, then you might get $500 from them, which you you know, you wouldn't get in, in a lifetime of them uh, just browsing your website and clicking on some ads. So that's where, yeah, that's, that's where I really see the, the value of this, of direct selling again. So those are our thoughts on what I'm seeing as the Patreon era of, of this trend that is rising right now and that I think will continue to be interesting. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. So send us your comments on this. You can go to the show notes to, to leave your comments or questions, or you can tweet us at Acti Grow with your thoughts. Like I said, for me, this is a very interesting trend and I think it makes the kinds of skills we talk about here more and more important, right? If you can master personal branding, you can master this kind of marketing that gives you the insight of how do I create a good offer? How do I present a good offer to people? How do I you know, turn my knowledge, turn my skills into good products that I can offer? Because whether you do that donation-based or whether you just you know, sell stuff at a fixed price, I think that is the skill of the future when it comes to monetizing an online presence. All right, so those are our thoughts on the Patreon era and what it could mean for the future of how businesses and especially small businesses and brands operate on the internet. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This was a bit more speculative and a bit more, let's say, theoretical and high level. We like to do nitty gritty step-by-step advice usually here on the podcast, but this was a topic that I find very interesting. I find it very interesting to see this happening, to see this trend emerge. And like I said in the intro, I think it is something that will touch all of us in some way. I think this is coming or it could be coming. And it's important to know about it. Let us know what you thought of this episode. If you have questions about it or if you like this kind of content, would prefer another type of content, just let us know by leaving a comment. You can go to activegrowth.com forward slash 24 to leave a comment. You can also leave a voice message there right at your computer or on your phone. Very convenient. You can also ask any question about entrepreneurship, online marketing, and creating your own products and building your brand online. And we will answer some of these questions in our episodes. Also, as you heard in this episode, we sometimes answer Twitter questions. You can simply send your questions on Twitter at ActiGrow. Send them on Twitter or send a voice message or leave a comment to get in touch with us and to keep this feedback loop going. We, as we've said many times before, we want this podcast to not just be a one-way monologue. We want this to be two-way communication so we can keep making relevant and interesting content for you. And that is all for today's episode. Thank you very much for listening and I'll catch you in the next one.